This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. As we read Paul's letter to the Galatians, consider how Paul quotes the Old Testament scriptures. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I'll just start out by saying this is a peculiar sermon, a sermon about which I have hesitations. And my hesitancy is not based on any doubt that I have about the veracity or the usefulness of this sermon. I absolutely believe every word I'm about to preach to you. And I would say the truths in this sermon are some of the most precious truths that I know. But I'm hesitant, and, and this is why. If you were to ask me to preach the very best sermon I could think of from Galatians 3, 1 through 14, I would not preach to you the sermon that I'm about to preach. Uh, Further, if you were to ask me to preach the three best sermons I could think of from Galatians 3, 1 through 14, uh, this sermon would not be one of them. Uh, The sermon I preached last week would be the first one. The sermon I'll preach next week would be the next one. And the sermon you'll hear in two weeks uh, would be the third But if after preaching those three sermons, if you were to come up to me and say, is there anything else really important that you'd like to show us from this text? If you ask me that question, I would show you what I want you to see today. Now, with that said, I want you to listen very closely. If you were to say to me, Ted, this Sunday, we're handing out the City city Bible Reading journals. And and in the sermon, uh, we'd like for you to encourage the current CBR participants in their daily Bible reading. And we'd like for you to encourage more folks to become participants and read the Bible daily through the CBR initiative. If you were to ask me to preach uh, from the Bible, what the Bible says about the Bible, to encourage more Bible reading, I would probably pick Galatians 3, 1 through 14. 
I would not pick it because of what it says about the Bible, but I would pick it because it presupposes or assumes what the Bible says about the Bible in other passages. I want to say it a little differently. So in this sermon, I want to take you to three well-known passages in the Bible. They're actually in your worship folder insert. And I want to show you uh, some truths that, that these three passages state about the Bible. And then I want to come back to Galatians 3 and I want to show you by how, by how Paul quotes the Bible, it is obvious that he believes those same things. So think about it this way. In your text, actually in verses 6 through 13, there are six quotes of the Old Testament and eight New Testament verses. In the other three sermons that I'm going to preach on this passage in this series, we're going to focus an awful lot on what Paul said and why he said it from the Old Testament. But today I want us to just look at it from 50,000 feet and ask, how did he quote the Old Testament? And how does, this, how does that tell us uh, what Paul's presuppositions are about the scripture? If you don't understand, I think you will soon enough. Let's jump in, okay? Three assumptions Paul makes about the Bible when he quotes the Bible. Assumption number one, the word of God is living and active. Assumption number two, all scripture is profitable. Assumption number three, all of the scriptures are about Jesus. So first, Paul assumes what the author of Hebrews directly states, that the word of God is living and active. And just so you know, this first point is by far the longest point, and it is thick. But I think it's worth uh, chewing into and trying to understand. Look quickly at the first phrase of Hebrews 4.12. Okay, this is the, a passage that's in your insert. It's a verse from the Bible about the Bible. The word of God is living and active, alive and effective. And so the author of Hebrews tells his audience that the Bible at that time, the Old Testament scriptures, he says, the Bible is not dead. It is still alive. And he says, it is in present tense terms still at work in you. The author of Hebrews doesn't say that God is alive and active, although that's true. He doesn't say that the word was alive and active back when God spoke it or when he wrote it, although that's true. He says that the word of God is a living and active reality. Now what's incredibly fascinating is what Paul writes in Galatians 3, chapter 9, when he, when he quotes Genesis 12, 3. Remember, we're not asking what did Paul quote or why did he quote it, but how did he quote the scriptures? Look at verse eight in Galatians three. It's the text in your actual worship folder. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now, what's interesting is if you go back to Genesis 12, 3, you're going to see that it's God that actually speaks these words to Abraham. And yet Paul says that it's the scripture that spoke these words to Abraham. Paul doesn't even say that it was God's word that spoke these words to Abraham. He says in the Greek, it was God's writings that spoke these words to Abraham. Now think, you would expect to read this. And God foreseeing that he would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. 
But what Paul says is that the writings, seeing what God would do, preach the gospel to Abraham. What does this mean? It means that even before they were written, the scriptures were living and active. Do you see this? Genesis was not written when God spoke to Abraham thousands of years ago. And yet Paul says that it was the scriptures that foresaw and spoke. This is not the only place where Paul speaks this way. It's part of his theology. Here's the point. This is gonna be the thick part. Before they were written by God through human authors, the scriptures existed. Before they were written, the scriptures, literally the writings, were already living and active. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. The scriptures didn't come into being when human authors inspired by God wrote them. The scriptures already existed when human authors inspired by God wrote them. What does this mean for you and me? It means this. That the scriptures you and I read in the Bible are not dead words that used to be alive. But they're a present tense, living and active word that existed before they were written. Because the scriptures, the writings didn't come into being when they were written and they didn't die along with the original audience to whom they were written. The scriptures weren't just the living and powerful words of God to the original audience when they heard them. And in light of that, we can say with confidence with the author of Hebrews, the word of God is present tense. The scriptures are present tense, living and powerful as I read them. And so my main goal in this point is to to get us to apply to our lives the truth that the word is living and active. But as we do that, I I wanna help you understand why the word is living and active. This is why. Because there's an incredibly intimate connection between the Lord and his word. Listen carefully. In the Bible, the Lord and his word are spoken of separately, but at the same time, they're inseparable. In the Bible, the Lord and his word are spoken of separately, but they're used interchangeably. This passage in Galatians 3 is one example of that. Think about the connection between the activity of God and the activity of his scripture. Like Galatians 3, there are times in the New Testament where the Lord's words in the Old Testament are said to be the words of the writings. Also, the opposite is true. There are times in the New Testament where the words of the Old Testament writings are said to be the Lord's words. Think about the intimate connection between God and his word. Did you know that the psalmist will talk about the word of God in the exact same way they talk about God? The psalmist will ascribe attributes to God's word that are only true of God. The psalmist will worship God's word in the exact same way they worship God. They will tremble before, stand in awe of, rejoice in, lift their hands to, praise and exalt God's word. Holy word. Not the physical object through, the, through which the word is carried, but the word itself. So, so not your physical Bible, but the word communicated in your Bible. Worshipped like God. 
Think about the intimate connection between God and his word. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that scripture is breathed out by God. He says scripture is not just spoken by God, but it proceeds from his very core, his very essence, his very being. Paul tells Timothy that the Old Testament writings were not just in the past breathed out by God, but are still in the present tense breathed out by God. Paul literally says the writings were, he does, excuse me, let me say it this way first. He doesn't say the writings were breathed out by God. He said all the writings are breathed out by God. When we read the Bible, it is in the present being breathed out and spoken to us by God. Now, with all that being said, look at Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 in its entirety. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So first, notice how the word of God in verse 12 is replaced by God in verse 13. It is God, after all, to whom we must all give an account. But second, look at how verse 12 says that the scripture does what only God can do. Only God can discern the thoughts and the intentions of your heart, the deepest parts of who you are. And the author of Hebrews is saying that when we read the living and active word of God, God in and through his word can go to the very depths of our being and he can speak to us in that place and he can reveal to us what he sees there and what he's doing about it. Hebrews 4 is telling us that when we read the Bible, we are not primarily taking the word and getting to its depths, but that the word is taking us and getting to our depths. That's drastically different. I told you this would be thick, but let me apply these truths directly to our lives. First, when you pick up your Bible each morning and participate in city Bible reading, it's not simply and primarily you reading the Bible, but it's God in the moment speaking to you. Do you feel the difference between, what are you gonna go do, honey? I'm gonna go read the Bible versus, what are you gonna go do, honey? I'm gonna go listen to God. Drastic difference. Don't ever say, I wish God would speak to me. He never speaks to me. He feels so distant from me. The author of Hebrews and Paul, they're saying his writings are living and active. In in reading the Bible every morning, it's not so much that you're reading the word, but it's that God is speaking to you. Don't ever say, I wish he would speak to me. He gave you the word. Tim Keller in an old sermon said this, if you have a quote vision or quote experience that you think might have been God speaking to you, there's a one in four chance that it was God speaking. I have no idea where he got one in four. (laughs) He said, but if you open the word and begin to read, it's a one in one chance that God is speaking to you. The Bible is not a book of words that were once alive but are now dead. It's not a book that you have to supply the energy to in order to make it powerful now. It is present tense being breathed out by God. It is present tense living and active now. Think of Galatians 3. It saw and it preached the gospel before it was written. That tells you that it has the power to see and preach the gospel to you now after being written. It was not encapsulated and encaged by being written down. It was just captured in that moment and written down. I really do hope that all of you grab a CBR journal on your way out. 
And I want you to, I want to encourage you to read the introduction to that journal today. It's only four pages. And as you read, I want you to pay close attention to the section that tells you the first thing to do in CBR every morning after coffee. (laughs) Step one. What is step one? Surrender through prayer. The first thing we do in the CBR initiative is assume a submissive heart posture before God and we align ourselves to what is actually happening in that moment. Surrender through prayer. The God who created you and all that is, the God that sustains you and all that is, the God that provides for you and all that is, the God who lived and died to redeem you, that God is gonna speak to you through his living and active scripture. It would make sense to come under the word and to surrender yourself through prayer. Next application. And I think it's important to reiterate that the paper in our Bible and the screen on our tablet, uh, they carry along God's word without uh, in and of themselves uh, becoming an object of worship. So so I say that to say, don't worship your Bible, don't worship your tablet, although some of us are already doing that. Um, But I say that uh, to say this. Think about the Bible that's in your hand or the Bible that's on your desk. In that book is the powerful word of God, living and active, able to dive dive into the depths of your heart, able to speak to you there, able to reveal to you what is there, able to reveal to you what God is gonna do about it. I stagger to think how much we underestimate or forget the precious value of what we can hold in our hands. God speaking to us. Did you hear the name Steve Tran in the news last week? Tran is from Northern California. And he, for weeks, joined many across the country wondering who won the other half of the $648 million lottery. Eventually, the word got out that the the winning ticket was sold in San Jose, which is not where Tran lives, but it's an area where Tran uh, daily drives. And one day, one day, Tran wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and he suddenly remembers that he himself had bought a ticket on his route driving through San Jose a ticket that he had forgotten about. And because he saves all of his old tickets for good luck, he was able to go back and find the ticket. And you, of course, know the end of that story. In that stack of receipts was a ticket worth $324 million. And I just have to wonder, with my Bible stacked among other books at my house, if I'm making a bigger mistake with what's on my desk. The most valuable possession I own, whether I act like it or not, is contained in the physical book that sits on my desk. And I have to ask myself, by the way I live, is the living and active word of God more valuable to me than sleep? Is hearing from God in real time more valuable to me than Instagram, Twitter, email, Sports Center, the Wall Street Journal, Good Morning America? How many times have I gotten out of bed and doubted the worth of reading the Bible, of hearing from God in and through his word? How many times have I thought it's a better idea to read a human author about the Bible instead of sitting down and actually reading the Bible? How many times have I been overwhelmed by the circumstances of my life and wondered if sitting down with the word of God was gonna be worth it that day? 
How many times, because I'm on staff and I have to, did I participate in CBR reluctantly, only to be met by God in powerful, penetrating, and I would say particularly and precisely applicable ways to my overwhelming day? How many times has God met me in his word, and how many times has he pressed his glory and his grace and his power and his very presence into the core of my being, only to find myself the very next morning doubting if the word is worth it again? only finding myself the very next morning wondering if it will still be living and active today. When you are spent and you don't think you can make it happen, that's the very best time to go to the word and come to the realization that all along, God is the one that has been making it happen. He and his word are living and active. And so assumption number one in Galatians 3, 1 through 14 is that the word of God is living and active. We don't see that in what Paul quoted or why he quoted it, but we see in how he quoted it. He assumed that the word was alive and at work. Assumption number two, all scripture is profitable. All right, so look at the statement from the Bible about the Bible in 2 Timothy 3.16. Again, this is in your insert. Again, I'm gonna pick up in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and all scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Paul and Timothy's scripture was the Old Testament. So all scripture, including the Old Testament, proceeds from the essence of God and all scripture, including the Old Testament, is profitable. Now, of course, Paul doesn't say that all scripture is equally profitable, He just says that all scripture is profitable. For what? Teaching. That is instruction in what we don't yet know. Reproof. That is rebuke when we're doing the wrong thing. Correction is a very positive word in the Greek. It means restoration to an upright state. Restoration. Training in righteousness. It's training in how to love. It's training in how to live our lives for other people and not ourselves. And Paul is saying that we're all in need of these things and that we need all of the Bible for these things. We don't just need our favorite story, our favorite verse, our favorite book in the Bible, but all of the Bible is what we need to profit in regards to these things. Look back at our passage from Galatians 3. It's in your your worship folder. I want you to especially consider verses 6 through 13. Every time you see quotation marks in those verses, Paul is quoting the Old Testament. Again, six and eight verses. And I think there's evidence here that Paul knew and valued all the Old Testament and not just part of the Old Testament. Paul quotes from Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Habakkuk. Paul quotes from the first book of the Old Testament and one very close to the last. Paul quotes a narrative from 2000 BC, a law from 1400 BC, and a prophet from 600 BC. All I'm saying is this, that from 50,000 feet, by looking at how he quotes the Old Testament, it's clear that Paul believed absolutely what he wrote to Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is profitable. In my opinion, this is the strongest argument for doing a Bible reading plan for private worship. This is the strongest reason to not wake up and think about the verse that you think you need that day. In my opinion, this is the reason that you don't wake up and read a mere mortal's thoughts on God that day. 
If you participate in city Bible reading, you will read all of the New Testament every year. You will read all of the Old Testament every three years. How did Paul and Jesus, for that matter, how did they know the Old Testament so well that they could just write six verses in eight verses and prove justification by faith? Think about Jesus. How did Jesus know the Bible so well that in the intense encounter he has with the devil in Luke 4, he can resist temptation by quoting scripture? How did they know it so well? It wasn't a weekend seminar. I promise you that. It was day in and day out. Week in and week out. Month in and month out. Year in and year out. Going to the word and listening to God there. Paul, prior to his conversion, was discipled in the Old Testament by Gamaliel. Paul was discipled by Jesus for three years in the wilderness. Paul was poured into for 14 years before he went and visited Peter. What was he doing? He was finding the profitability of all of the scriptures. Again, apart from the Bible reading plan, it's really hard to take yourself to all scripture and gain from the scripture the profit that God has for you in that place. Paul is saying that we need profit from all of scripture. It is a very big book. You just have to start somewhere and keep walking. But think about it, because it flows from God's essence, it can't by definition be a short book. If it's gonna flow from God's essence, it can't be a short book and it cannot be exhaustively understood in a few weeks or in a few years. We read in the Bible that our pursuit of God and our pursuit of his word will be an eternal pursuit. What would you think of me if I said to Trisha, we've been married 15 years. I now know you. I don't need to keep pursuing you to experience you in new ways and I don't need to learn anything else about you. I have you known That dude's a fool. (laughs) How much more with God and his word? Further, let's say that you joined CBR years ago and you've read the whole time, this whole time we've been talking about CBR for six years. Maybe you've read through the Bible multiple times and you're saying, do I need to keep reading? Do I need to keep listening to the Bible? Maybe I should try another strategy. And Paul says to us, well, Are you still in need of teaching, reproof, restoration, and training? I know I am. He's saying, stay in the Bible. Actually, if you look back at 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, this is what Paul writes to Timothy. This is for people that have been reading the Bible their whole life. But as for you, continue. Keep walking. And what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the sacred scriptures. We know from the book itself that Timothy was discipled by his mother and his grandmother. We know from the book itself that Timothy was discipled by Paul. Paul knows that Timothy has learned a lot, and Paul knows that Timothy has believed a lot. And what does he say to him? Verse 14, keep walking in what you learned and have believed. Paul says, all of it is profitable and you will never get to the depths of it. Pick up a CBR CBR journal on your way out. That journal is gonna contain a Bible reading plan that's going to begin you in the process of pursuing all of the scripture. 
And if you'll begin to, to listen to God in the word, reading the word, if you'll begin, and it, or, or if you've been doing it, if you'll keep listening, if you'll keep reading, it will be to your profit and it will be to your benefit. But before you do that, listen to the last assumption of Paul. If you don't get this last assumption, all the Bible reading in the world will be to your detriment and possibly your doom. If you, like Gamaliel, read the Bible your entire life without understanding what Paul says here about Jesus, it will be to your detriment and doom. Assumption three, all of the scriptures are about Jesus. So while it's true that you must devour all of the scripture to get all of the profit, you don't have to read all the Bible before you learn what the Bible's about. My four-year-old can tell you what the Bible's about. Jesus. He's the point. He's the story. He's the hero. Look at the passage in your worship folder from Luke 24. In Luke 24, Jesus joins up with two despondent disciples as they talk and as they walk down the road. And Jesus asks them what they're talking about and they tell him without knowing that it's him that they had hoped that Jesus of Nazareth would be the Messiah. And they tell him that the Jewish leaders had delivered Jesus up to the Romans for crucifixion. And they tell him that there are women in their community that had gone to the tomb and the tomb is empty. And they say to Jesus, we're sad and we're confused. And Jesus says this in verse 25. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You might expect him to say that. The prophets were going to tell you about me. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Was it not necessary for the crucifixion and the resurrection to happen? And beginning with Moses. That's Genesis. And it literally reads, beginning with Moses and all through the prophets, from beginning to end, Genesis to Malachi, Malachi. <laughs> he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus told them that they should have been thinking about the Old Testament scriptures, which Jesus clearly says is all about him from start to finish. Jesus says to his disciples and to us, you haven't interpreted the scripture rightly until you interpret it about me. This is the most important thing that you have to know and assume when reading or listening to the Bible. It is not about you. It is about him. If you read the Bible thinking that it's fundamentally about you and what you have to do, you will read to your detriment and possibly your doom. But if you read the Bible knowing it's fundamentally about Jesus and what he's done for you, it will be to your profit and to your benefit. Go back to Galatians 3, 1 through 14. Look at the evidence that Paul assumed that this is true. The entire passage is Paul telling the Galatians that they could have handled this infiltration of the false teachers all by themselves without him. Paul says to them, and we covered this extensively last week, he said, you could have been thinking about the scriptures when the false teachers told you that you had to work for your salvation. And then Paul quotes the Old Testament scriptures six times. And he says to them, here are six proofs. You're not justified by your works of the Old Testament law. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who himself obeyed the Old Testament law. And Paul says, when you read the Old Testament, it should humbly increase your faith in Jesus, not arrogantly motivate you to work for your own salvation. 
And Paul is saying you don't read the scriptures rightly until you read that it's about Jesus and his gospel. You don't have to read all of scripture to know that all of scripture is about Jesus. Jesus told us that in Luke 24. He says, they're all about me. And so while you don't have to read all the scripture to understand that all the scripture is about Jesus, isn't it motivating to now go to all of the scripture and ask yourself, how is this about Jesus? And so we're reading about David right now in 2 Samuel and CBR. If you read 1 and 2 Samuel thinking that it's about you, you'll tell yourself that you have to do what David did. So far, that's gonna go pretty well for you. Except for that Jonathan's love was greater than his wife's. Again, I would not recommend saying that with your wife around. But it's going pretty well. But, but in a few chapters, you're gonna start seeing some massive failures in David's life. And so the way you read David cannot simply be, well, I'm gonna do what David did. He's the hero. Nor can it simply be, well, I'm gonna do as good as he did when he did good I'm gonna do, and I'm not gonna do as bad as he did when he did bad. Jesus said, wouldn't it just be simpler to read David this way? I'm the primary point of the Old Testament narrative about David. Jesus said, wouldn't it just be easier to read it this way? I want you to read about David and I want you to long for the true David, the true king. I want you to read about David and when he sacrifices other people for what he wants, I want you to see me sacrificing myself for what you truly want. Jesus is saying in Luke 24, it's not about David. It's not about you. Jesus says, it's about me. When you read in the Old Testament, particularly the Psalms about the wrath and the holiness of God on one page, and then the grace and steadfast love of God on the next page, when you read those two right next to each other, sometimes in the very same verse, you're going to ask yourself, which is it? If you're an optimist, you're going to believe the grace part. If you're a pessimist, you're going to believe the wrath part. And you say, well, will God pour his wrath out on my sins? Or will God forgive my sins? I'm so confused. And Jesus says in Luke 24, yes, he'll do both. But how? Only by seeing that it's about Jesus can God be both to true realities in himself. And only if it's about Jesus is it a prophet to us. Yes, God is wrathful and yes, God is full of grace. He was true to himself when he punished our sins in Jesus on the cross. And he is true to himself when he lavishes upon us his grace as a result of unleashing his holy wrath on the perfect and righteous Jesus. And Jesus is saying, until you see the Old Testament as being about me, it will utterly confuse you. But until you see that every verse and every passage and every figure in the Old Testament is first and foremost about me, every good guy makes you long for the best guy, every bad guy makes you long for the righteous guy, until you get that, all of scripture will not be a prophet to you. But you can actually see this in verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3. Look back at it. This is where I stopped reading before. I'm in the middle of verse 15. Paul summarizes the sacred scripture, that is the Old Testament. He, he summarizes it this way. It is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says the same thing Jesus says. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And then Paul says to Timothy and us, you can't be taught, you can't be rebuked, you can't be restored, you can't be trained until you become wise to the fact that the whole Bible is about salvation through Jesus Christ and not your works. And that will make it all an immense 
profit to you. So in conclusion, do you see why we want you to journal through ACTS Acts each and every day and not just read the chapters? Why do we ask you to A, adore God for who he is, C, confess the sin in your life, T, thank Jesus for his salvation, past, present, and future, then S, supplicate or ask the Holy Spirit to grow you from the inside out. Why do we do that? Why do we not come to you and say, listen, on your way to work, when at the red light, read the passage. Or on your way to work, listen to the audio file on your headset. Not that I'm opposed to those things, but why do we want you to stop and journal through the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication lens? Because if you do not read the Bible through the lens of the gospel, it can hurt you. But if you will sit down and force yourself to rehearse the gospel each and every time you read the Bible, it will be an incredible power and profit to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for being the hero of the book. We thank you that the entire book is about you. We thank you for the freedom that comes to us to not make it about us, but to enjoy it being about you. We thank you, Jesus, that you fulfilled the law, that you were the hero, that you were the Messiah the prophets spoke of, the one of an eternal kingdom who would suffer horrifically for his people. We thank you, Jesus, that your word is clear. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see its clarity? We pray, Jesus, that by your Holy Spirit, you would keep us from reading your word to our detriment, but that we would read your word and experience your salvation. God, we thank you that you give yourselves, yourself to us in your word. What a generous and gracious and loving God you are. Teach us to say with the psalmist that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Teach us to believe with Jesus that the most precious thing we can have is a relationship with you by grace through him. Reorient us to the economy of your kingdom. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus.